Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Carmen Pugliafito, and I'm here today with Dr. Viral Sheth, who is from the University Retina and Macula Associates in Chicago, is also an assistant professor of clinical ophthalmology at the University of Illinois Chicago Medical Center. So, Viral, welcome back to Retina Synthesis. Thanks, Carmen. It's great to be back. So we're going to talk today about a new agent for gene therapy of neovascular AMD. And uh, this is a novel approach. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you mentioned gene therapy. I think this is a hot topic in our field. And so recently I, I presented some data from uh, the PRISM study. So the PRISM study was a phase one, two clinical trial looking at a molecule that we're calling 4D150. This is a dual transgene intravitreal gene medicine in patients uh, that we're looking at for wet AMD. Um, and so a couple things that are a little different here, right? So this is a primate evolved retinotropic R100 capsid. Uh, so that's different because the actual vehicle is a little bit different. And then the um, what it's encoding for is a little different. So this is a dual transgene. So one of those transgene is for a flibrocept. And the other is for an miRNA or like an interference RNA that inhibits intracellular expression of VEGFC. So how do we give it? We give it through a single intravitreal uh, in injection. Uh, and then what we see is widespread delivery of this vector to all layers of the retina and then efficient transduction, which is obviously the next key step. And then robust kind of panretinal transgene expression. So when we see that expression, what we're really seeing is inhibition of VEGF, uh, VEGF A, B, and C, and then PIGF. So some of that comes from the flibrocept side, and then obviously the additional anti-VEGF C, uh, C component to it. So why do we call it a transgene? Um, I think it's because I think we're we're essentially gene transference. So I think it's it's really we're transferring these genes into the cellular material. What, what were the results of the study? Yeah, so, okay, let's, so let's talk about it. It's a phase one, two clinical trial, like I was mentioning. So really, what are we looking at? We're looking at safety, tolerability, clinical activity. Um, the what, what I presented data on was the dose exploration phase. So we looked at three different doses and just, you know, I'll tell you, they're, they're currently um, recruiting for the dose expansion phase. So we'll hopefully see that data in the near future as well. But the first part, dose exploration, we're looking at three different doses. We're looking at 3E10, 1E10, and 6E9. And if you are familiar with some of these gene studies going on, um, this is a lower dose than we're seeing in some of these other clinical trials with other companies. Um, and I think, look, I think it speaks to maybe the difference in the vector here. I think it also speaks to the fact that we've learned a lot in these previous studies and perhaps too high of a dose, um, we're going to see safety concerns, inflammation, all these other things that we've talked about in the past. So the real question is, is with these doses, are we able to see one good safety, but, and then also are we starting to see some efficacy signals? And so in this trial, who are we looking at? Who are the patients we recruited into this study? These are patients that had some clinical response to an anti-VEGF in the prior 12 months, but they are also pretty high needs patients, right? So these are patients that had received at least six intravitreal injections within the last 12 months. Uh, and then what are the primary endpoints? We're looking at severity of uh, treatment emergent AEs. We're looking at severe or SAEs. 
Um, and then obviously secondary endpoints, you know, looking at um, uh, how many injections patients needed after getting the study drug, uh, BCVA, CSD, things like that. Uh, so what did we see? We saw, you know, obviously most importantly, safety, right? So there were no dose limiting toxicities. We saw no 4150 related um, SAEs. There were two patients in the first cohort, the first cohort being the highest dose that we saw in one um, very small amount of pigmented anterior chamber cells. This is the first patient that received therapy. Um, and then one patient that had mixed vitreous cell, just half plus. And that first patient that had pigmented cells, the patient was kept on topical steroids um, and did just fine. The second patient that had the mixed cells, they weren't done. Nothing new was done for them, no additional steroids. One thing I forgot to mention is that this study also, when the patient enrolled seven days before they got the study drug, they got an aflibercept. And one day before they got the study drug, they started a 20-week topical steroid taper, right? So that's important because I think we're starting to see a little bit more of that with the gene therapies. Uh, and with that, patients did extremely well. In other words, what I'm telling you is we had this one patient that had the pigment cells um, that did fine. And then the one that had the half plus vitreous cell, we didn't do anything different. We kept them on their taper and they did just fine. So, um, so we were very reassured by that data. Um, and no, uh, no white blood cells above one plus in any of these eyes, no hypotony, no intraocular inflammation um, uh, that required intervention, no retinal vasculitis, all the stuff that we think about now and that we worry about, we didn't see any of that in these patients. So again, that's kind of really the, the gist of my presentation. Now, the other thing I think that's really critical was, all right, so what did we see from an efficacy standpoint? Again, small numbers, but but we this is where we really kind of want to key in on, and especially because we're looking at different doses. So in that first cohort, which again was a 3E10 group, these were patients that before they got the study drug, again, required a high treatment burden. So they, on average, had 11 intravitreal injections of anti-VEGF therapy before getting the study drug. Afterwards, four out of the five in this cohort received zero um, treatment after that. So in the 24 weeks following that injection of 4150, they required no supplemental therapy. So four out of the five. Um, that gives you basically what 80% of the patients don't need, uh, didn't need treatment um, afterwards, um, and 84% reduction in annualized injection rate. So we saw that pattern in the lower doses as well. So cohorts two and three, which were lower doses, we saw a significant reduction in the annualized injection rate. Uh, though we did see more of those people, more of those patients needing um, supplemental therapy. So that that first dose, the highest dose, did seem to do really well. Um, that's a lot of info. Carmen, what else can I tell you about it? So I told, told you about safety. I told you about efficacy. What else How do you want? How many eyes were there in the study? So there were three cohorts, five eyes in each cohort. So the, the cohort one that I was really kind of keying in on was five patients. And it was a one-year study? It was uh, 36 weeks. I presented data on 24 weeks. So tell us about the, the steroid temp, uh, uh, taper. What was that like? Yeah, so patients started off um, with QID uh, steroids one day prior uh, to um, getting the study drug. Uh, it was prednisolone that they got. And then over the course of 20 weeks, kind of a slow taper. And as I mentioned, you know, the, the patients, again, did incredibly well. And again, I think this is something you're seeing across the board with, with gene therapy is that We've seen a couple cases, again, not in this study and other programs where we've seen lots of uh, inflammation at higher doses. And I think we're just, 
I think being a little bit more proactive in in the um, the the topicals, especially. Why do you think this is better than the AAV two or AAV four delivery? Yeah, well, listen, I mean, I, I don't know if I could say it's better yet, right? But I do think, look, I like the fact that you can achieve efficacy with a lower dose, a lower concentration of, and of viral load, right? I think what, what we worry about is we're still trying to figure out the right mix, right? What's the right concentration that's going to get us the efficacy? I think ideally we want a one and done, right? I think when we talk to patients about this, we want to say, hey, we're going to give you something that's pretty safe. And that will significantly reduce your treatment burden. And so I think we're still trying to figure out, you know, where, where that sweet spot is. And so what I like about this is that so far we're seeing that sweet spot kind of play out. Well, there's tremendous interest in intravitreal delivery yeah. of gene therapy. You know, we have subretinal, we have supracoroidal, both under very active clinical investigation. And we also have uh, another manufacturer that has an intravitreal drug that has had significant inflammation yeah. through the study. So where, do, where it's, what's the next step for AD150? Yeah, so they're going to go to dose expansion. Um, and so that's currently going on. So a significant you know, increase in the number of patients we're going to be looking at. Um, and, and then look, we're going to see the end of the data from this first cohort. So 36 weeks out, we'll get some of that data. We'll see the dose expansion group, hopefully, uh, if not later this year, next year, maybe, and then, and then see how it plays out. Look, what do we want to see? We want to see what kind of treatment burden reduction we're seeing. We want to see safety. Um, you know, the other thing we didn't talk about Carmen is, is these, this new MOA, right? We're, we're seeing a couple things play out in, in the R&D space in retina. We're seeing people looking for better durability. We're seeing people look for different MOAs. And then this is one of those, those um, kind of uh, places where all that meets, right? We're seeing through gene delivery, we're, we're assuming that we're going to get better durability because of the incorporation of this material into the tissue, the cellular tissue. Um, but also here, you know, you mentioned some of the other, other things that are being tested, the difference here is we're not just looking at the traditional flibercept kind of uh, production. We're looking at also um, uh, targeting uh, VEGFC, right? So whether that actually matters or not, you know, we may start to see that play out in the data as well. Well, there is some evidence that uh, blockade of VEGFC and D does improve the VEGF treatment algorithm. So yeah, yeah. We're see, look, we're seeing that with some more traditional agents like or traditional mechanisms like uh, the Optia drug, right? Right. I think it's probably what you're referring to. And I think, look, we've seen promising data that that we can get even better vision results than with anti-VEGF alone. Well, this is uh, very promising. Uh, and we're just at the beginning of this story. So, Viral, thanks a lot for coming to Retina Synthesis and, and informing us about this really, I think, exciting development. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity, Carmen.